Welcome to the final episode in the Five with the Five Philanthropic Five interview series. Today I talk with August Ball, founder of Cream City Conservation. August is passionate about giving diverse youth opportunities to explore their interests in environmental fields, as well as encouraging diversity in local workplaces. So she combined these interests into her dream job. We talk about what it means to be a social entrepreneur and how growing up on a farm in the Philippines helped her get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Here's our conversation. Yeah, so we so, want to yeah. know, you know, what little creatures are, you know, in our parks and make sure that we're um, paying attention to their habitat and, and um, just getting an inventory of who's living there. And it's kind of, it's a fun thing that I get to do sometimes with um, my students or I'd like to bring my nephews out there at some point too because they're five and three and would love oh, And they're, snakes. oh yeah, are you kidding? <laughs> that would be like, they'd probably remember that forever. Right, yeah. At cool on August. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's a perfect lead-in to my first question for you. Yeah. Tell me about Cream City Conservation. Sure. So let me start off by first saying that, like, I'm a firm believer that if your dream job doesn't exist, create it. Um, so Cream City Conservation is a two-pronged social enterprise that basically helps community and environmental organizations develop a framework unique to their organization that helps them address workforce and volunteer issues um, and diversity. We then use 60% of those profits to support Cream City Conservation Corps, which is a youth employment program um, that gets traditionally underrepresented uh, youth, so typically youth of color, um, into green career pathways. So we work with youth ages, you know, 16 to about 25. Wow, that's awesome. But a lot of your job takes you outside, out into nature. Mm -hmm. So can you tell me kind of about that side of things and the students that you work with, what do you guys, what do you do with these students? Yeah, so we do everything from trail building, um, native planting, um, invasive species removal, which is a fancy way of saying weeding. (laughs) Um, Again, just helping them maintain the biodiversity uh, in public green space, but also helping them understand what the political context is for this work. People of color traditionally um, are in a sense, um, disproportionately affected by environmental issues, such as lead in our water, air pollution, effects of redlining. We want them to not only develop a love for nature, but also understand the political context that's required, I guess, to make sure that everyone has access to our beautiful natural resources. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. And how did you come to start this, start this business, (laughs) build your dream job. By accident. (laughs) So before I started Cream City Conservation, I was in AmeriCorps. Um, Actually, before that, I always thought I was going to work in foreign service. And um, I I grew up in the Philippines. Um, I'm not Filipino, but uh, lived there for many years. And so I thought I wanted to be in foreign service and then realized that you know, I love working with youth, and so I worked for a national conservation program that was funded by a local business. And when that ended, I realized that, you know, we kind of have this mindset that if it's a nonprofit, it's good, and if it's a business, it's bad. Mm. Um, and so I liked, I liked the idea of potentially changing that narrative, and social entrepreneurship led that because it allowed me to build a business that had a positive social impact but also was profitable and not dependent on a big corporation finding us valuable. Talk about a dream job for, like, teenagers, young adults. Yeah. Um, obviously, you touch a lot of 
you've touched on a lot of issues and challenges going on in the community. What's kind of top of mind for you these mm-hmm. days? What have you been thinking a lot about? Yeah, so gosh, um, so for the past like decade or so, um, I've been thinking about um, equitable representation. There is obviously a lack of diversity in almost all um, occupational fields, um, but the lack of diversity in the environmental industry is especially concerning uh, for me as a woman of color. This is mainly, as I mentioned, because people of color are disproportionately affected by environmental issues. And people of color have historically been and systematically been locked out, if you will, uh, out of key decision-making positions within environmental organizations. Uh, So, you know, while we have a new wave of people, you know, running these organizations right now, they've inherited a lot of messiness. And, you know, they've also inherited some very problematic perspectives um, about people of color and, and because of that have sustained company cultures that at times can be downright hostile to non-whites. You know, there's also the rampant assumption that if we're all just good humans, um, equitable representation will ensue. And I wish that was the case, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's simply not. And segregation, environmental racism, racially homogenous leadership, that's all intentional. I believe we have to be intentional and systematic in how we rectify these issues. Because frankly, if we don't, um, we're you know we're going to have people and if we don't have sorry if we don't have people and experiences rather um, at the table that are diverse, and a culture that affirms that uh, it is safe to bring one's full self and perspective to the table, our planet and our people are going to continue to suffer. So, you know, and this is a question I've asked of of the other four members. I guess what or who inspires you, but what or who has been inspiring you lately? Like, what are you inspired by today or this week, this month? Yeah. Hmm. And maybe it's what always inspires you? <laughs> yeah. So that one's, that one's actually a bit heavy for me. I didn't even make any notes on that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, so, so I could go into that now or we could say that for later. But um, so I think I'd shared um, during the blog post that um, if I could go back in time um, – you know, there as a woman of color, right? Like there probably aren't too many places I'd want to go. Right, exactly. However, you know, I would love to, you know, have more time with my um, with my birth mom, uh, who passed away when I was little. Um, and so, when I think about that, um, so so environmental issues, environmentalism, I should say, and um, diversity and equity are two are three of the very, um, I guess, the things that I value. Uh, and that is because I know firsthand how detrimental it can be um, when, you know, bigotry is unchecked. Um, so, you know, my birth mom, unfortunately, you know, lost her life um, when she was 28 to someone who didn't necessarily think that she, as a white woman, she should be married to a black person. So that that alone has informed the the choices I make in life, um, the events that ensued after that. So every day I wake up, I think about the gift that is life. I think about the gift that I have with every breath. And anytime I think about complaining, because I do, because I'm human, um, I have a little like conversation with myself about how many years I've been 
graced with that other people or my mother, you know, had not been graced with and thinking about what she had accomplished in her time um, of 28 years and for me at 36, right? So it's like, I better make it worth it. <laughs> right. So when I think about what inspires me, it's definitely the memory of my birth mom. And it's also just the young people that I get to be around every day. Uh, I think a lot of us go into education, so to speak, um, because we want to um, empower young people um, and we want to kind of be for them maybe someone that we had or, or be what we didn't have when we were their age. To be really honest, I feel like a lot of times I get more out of <laughs> the experience than maybe my youth do uh, because I learn something from them every day. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, I've always kind of considered um, that in, my, in, in where I choose to spend my um, time and what I choose to invest in, um, the environmental aspect of things um, came a little bit later when I realized how much I was kind of taking growing up on a farm in the Philippines for granted. <laughs> Most people who grew up on farms are like, I never want to work outdoors ever again, <laughs> you know, because yeah. it's, it's not easy work. Um, but anyway, I digress. <laughs> so you grew up on a farm? In the mm-hmm. Philippines, I would. When you said you grew up in the Philippines, I automatically assumed, oh, she had a parent who was in the military. Yeah. Was that the case, or no? No, my dad was in the Air Force, but that was long before we came okay. along. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, it, that was very strategic on my dad's part. Um, he and him and my birth mom were separated at the time, and he had remarried a Filipina. Okay, and um, so. After that incident happened um, with my my mom dying, uh, my my dad thought, well, gosh, like we need to kind of get them out of small town Racine because um, this is causing a lot of kind of distress for the girls. And yes. and so then my dad thought, okay, who's the he's the king of like how do we make lemonade out of lemons, right? Okay. So he was like, well, what if we move them to the Philippines? Wow. Yeah. So my dad's thought on it was, well, I want my kids to have a childhood. And it would be even awesome if we could, like, get them to be bilingual or trilingual, too. And so, sorry, I'm going to hit the table. Okay. <laughs> um, and so it, that was kind of his way of, okay, this is a really – and, I mean, it's not like this automatically was like, okay, yeah, we're on to the next plan. I mean, this was a pretty, right, of course. you know, I think a pretty traumatic event for everybody involved. Um, but my, my dad is – and this is a whole not- I mean, it's, it was so much of a backstory. But, you know, my dad was adopted at a very young age um, by a Jewish family. Um, my grandfather on my dad's side was a survivor of Buchenwald. Um, so um, I think he just kind of has that spirit of like, okay, this is really unfair and really wrong, but nothing's going to get fixed by sitting here crying about it. We have to think about, like, what, how, do we, how do we make the best out of the situation? Yeah. I do want to move on because I want to <laughs> sure. hear, you know, <laughs> for sure. the, some of the other, mm-hmm. how it all ties in. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, my next question is, what's your favorite part about living here in this community? I kind of define community like I define family. Like family for me is like all my friends and maybe <laughs> their friends. And, you know, like if I met you more than two times, you're probably in the family. Um, <laughs> but community for me um, is very much so... Um, a combination of Milwaukee, but also the kind of national environmental organization, um, environmental field, if you will. Sure. Um, it's hard for me to pick just one thing um, about Milwaukee specifically, but uh, I'll try. <laughs> um, so, you know, Milwaukee is a small city, right? We all know that, um, and it often gets a bad rap. 
Um, but I find it's usually from people who've either never been or, um, or haven't spent a lot of time here or those who've never left and don't have anything to really compare it to. Sure. Um, there's literally something cool to do every day. Um, you know, there are biking groups, there are um, running groups, world music concerts, there are, you know, maker spaces, there are tech startup incubators, there's organizations like Milwaukee and Milwaukee County Parks and Urban Ecology Center, like all of which um, do an amazing job of creating like these third spaces for people. And, you know, it's really, I find it sad that there are so many Milwaukeeans that miss out on what our city and our county has to offer by the sheer fact that um, they don't venture outside their neighborhood or they don't really invest in relationships with people that are different than them. So, like, we're really lucky that in Milwaukee, nearly every neighborhood has some sort of, like, public green space that's walkable. Now, you know, of course, the quality of those public green sure. spaces does vary uh, neighborhood to neighborhood, and, and that's an issue of equity, um, one that, you know, my organization and other advocacy groups are addressing. But nonetheless, I mean, it's still an amazing asset that a lot of other cities don't have. Because our city is so small and the environmental stewardship community is even smaller, I've found that it is really easy to build connections. It's really easy as a social entrepreneur to build uh, a reputation and trust, and those are very important things. And if you're really interested in investing um, and creating value, it doesn't take long to build that reputation. So I, I love that. I love that about our city. I love that about Milwaukee. Um, we were kind of talking about this in, in the elevator ride up that you know, you can go to a grocery store and have like a mini reunion, like with people. Some folks don't like that, right? And I think <laughs> it's probably because um, just as easy as it is to build a reputation um, that's good, it's probably also easy to build a not so good one. Yeah, I, I guess that's what I love about it, the, the closeness of it. Wow. <laughs> and finally, what's your secret sauce? <laughs> what keeps you going? What keeps you moving? Getting up every day? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I am a firm believer in the notion that the obstacle is the advantage. For example, the reason I'm so comfortable going into organizations and you know, sharing my perspective on how to create inclusive working environments and equitable recruitment strategies and hiring practices, it's not because I have like some PhD that makes me an expert. It's because, you know, as a as a trilingual social entrepreneur, or social, sorry, scientist, who's had a lot of practice building relationships with people who are different than me. You know, for example, I identify as black, but my ethnic background is African, Greek, Choctaw, um, native and Swiss uh, and German. And I grew up in a household with a Jewish father who is black and a, you know, a bonus mom or a stepmom, if you will, who is Filipino and Catholic. Um, and I lovingly refer to myself as a cashew. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, so, and, you know, and I very much so identify as like this, you know, as a progressive activist. Consequently, my husband um, identifies probably more politically middle of the road and is a police officer, recently turned detective. For 15 years, I lived in Southeast Asia, right? So, you know, these experiences inform my lens of the world. Um, just like your experiences inform your lens, right? Uh, 
And I find that the vaster our experiences, the richer our toolkit mm -hmm. um, for conflict management and for empathy. Uh, so I guess in short, my secret sauce, you know, if you will, is I <laughs> continuously seeking out opportunities to be uncomfortable. <laughs> sure. And Which, not just not being scared of that, right? right? Yeah, because yeah. like, it sounds crazy, right? Like who goes around like volunteering themselves to be uncomfortable? Like we normally don't do that, but that's, that's really where the growth comes from. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so you knew about those questions. Yes. You were able to take some notes, give it some thought. Now I have some more questions, just like our last it's not talk. About Oreos, is it? Um, no. Did like, I ask you about Oreos? No, but apparently there's a big debate going on right now about like like traditional versus like flavored Oreos. Oh. Yeah, my husband and I are very on separate like lines. Of Where the, do you fall? <laughs> first question. I'm a traditionalist. Okay. Okay. Like, strawberry Oreos I mean, are not Oreos, and he no. like anytime the new one comes out, he's all about it. He wants it. to try it. No, I don't have a question about Oreos, and unfortunately, you're my last interview, um, or else I would work it in. But, oh, well, you kind of already answered this question, but maybe there's something else. Is there anything you don't like about the outdoors? Oh, yeah, for sure, mosquitoes. Mosquitoes. Um, not a fan of that. No. Yeah, they're just ruthless. They've gotten bad. Yeah. I don't remember them being this, like... Mm -hmm horrible big yeah yeah it's it's kid. to a point where like we, i definitely lied to my youth and told them like oh yeah when we go camping there's there's gonna be no mosquitoes and then later on they're like you saw this i'm like i don't know what happened that's normally what not happened? how it is they were <laughs> supposed to be hibernating this year <laughs> right. oh my gosh i love that um what's your all-time favorite movie oh father of the bride oh my god yeah that's such mm -hmm. a good choice <laughs> I love down. that. I love that. I meant to watch. I recently got married. I meant to watch that before, like all of the classic <laughs> wedding mm -hmm. movies. I might still have to do that yeah. and make him watch them too. <laughs> What's your best summer memory? Oh, man. Summer is a really fun time for me. Um, yeah. Best summer memory. The first one that comes to mind. Probably the first summer I was working for um, the Student Conservation Association. That was like my first summer working officially in the environmental like field, but in a way where I got to work with youth. So yeah, that was super fun. We had like 100 teens that would go play like spread out to different, you know, county parks and build trail. And it was like their first experience and my first experience. Um, so we got to experience a lot of that together. And so many of those, those youth are, and this is like 10 years ago, um, so many of those teens are off and, you know, graduating college or getting married. And just we kind of, we stay in touch online with a lot of them. But yeah, just kind of that, that was a turning point for sure for me that like, wow, yeah, I want to do something like this. Um, what's your ideal date night? Oh, probably. So my answer may change based on the year. But right now, I would probably be um, going for a walk, um, getting some margaritas, and then probably watching like a comedy at home with my husband and my dog. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Yeah, just really, yeah, just having some kind of quiet time. Yeah. That sounds great. <laughs> That's a, yeah, I think that would be what I would Because you don't have to spend a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And you get to, you're at home. Yeah. So then you can just go to bed. For sure, exactly, <laughs> right? exactly. And we go on a lot of trips. I mean, it's just, yeah. in the summer, it's so hard. And we, because we work separate schedules, it's, 
you know, I, as we're, I'm coming, he's going, and vice versa. And so around this time of year, I think both of us tend to kind of just crave, like, just some one-on-one time yeah. uninterrupted. Yeah. So, yeah. Just wherever. And then hanging out with the dog, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, Marvin's so got to be there. Yes. He's like our son. Yeah. So. <laughs> Same. Oh, my gosh. Do you have any human children? No, none yet. Maybe. We just borrow other people's children. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I'm like, the dog's so enough. Uh-huh. Some days I'm like, I oh, just yeah. want to watch a dog. Mm-hmm. Between uh, the grooming bills and the walks and the food and the clothes, because, yes, we do put our pit bull in T-shirts. <laughs> well, got more bandanas cool. than I have. Oh, so cute. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe we got it. We were selling Live United dog sweatshirts. Oh, I might have to get so some of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A live yeah. one on one of those. Um <laughs> Is he a, do you think he would be a large or a, a Oh, for medium? sure a large. large. He's probably like 70 pounds. Mm, okay. okay, yeah, yeah. Mine's big too. Um, we'll have to see if up there when we go. She's not a pit bull, oh. but she's a mutt. Oh. So she, with big head, she's yeah. half St. Bernard's. So she has a big head, oh, yeah. big um, neck and oh. rib cage, but mm-hmm. then. Like tiny legs, kind of. Yeah. yeah. She's just like funny looking, you know. <laughs> I love. I think she's the cutest dog in the world. Right, but exactly. Don't we all? Your <laughs> mother, right? Yes. Oh, I miss her. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my last fun question for you is: What's the best place to hike around here? Oh, you know, yeah. within a, within an hour. What's yeah, your favorite? Yeah, for sure. Like I would day, say, yeah. go for the day. Yeah, like kind of Seven Bridges area is probably one of my oh, favorites. I love Seven right? Bridges. Yeah. Because I mean, you can you get the you know the beach if you will. Yeah. You got kind of like a little bit of a hilly like hiking kind of area yeah. in kind of in the woods. There's just like a bunch of different landscapes to see. Nice and picnic areas too that you could hit. Yeah, it's probably one of my favorite areas. Awesome. Well, August, yeah. thank you so much. Thank this you. was really fun talking to you. Again, we could probably talk for several hours. We'll stop. We'll stop sure. there. And uh, congratulations again on winning the P5 award. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a great honor. That was August Ball of Cream City Conservation. Join all of our winners at the Philanthropic Five Awards event Thursday, August 16th at 5.30 p.m. at the Ivy House in Milwaukee. Register at unitedwaygmwc.org slash p5.